Well, men, I'm super glad you're here. <laughs> I'm actually, um, I'm actually feeling good today. I'm feeling good today. I believe the Lord has a word for us today. Um, he has a word for us every day. I remember when Daryl Springetti, some of you would know Daryl. You certainly would know him by sight if you don't know him by person. He's super tall, shaved head, beard, just a big guy. Not Shane. That describes Shane to a degree as well. Uh, but then there's um, Shane's twin brother. His name is Daryl. And uh, he, one of his first Sundays, I spoke on marriage, Christian marriage. And um, he, he just is like, thank you for serving up the meat. And um, then he would come in church every, every Sunday for you know, the next several months, and he'd say, Daddy's hungry. <laughs> and I'm like, sweet. Um, I'm really excited for the next couple of weeks. I believe them to be very, very important. Uh, Paul is um, uh, writing to men and women in the next two weeks. Today's message is titled Godly Men, and it's just a single verse, verse 8, 1 Timothy chapter 2, therefore I want men everywhere to pray lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Um, if you've been with us, you know I have often referenced chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15 as the thesis of this book. When Paul says, I'm writing you these instructions so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Now, there appears to be a transition um, outside the four walls and roof of the church here in chapter 2. We'll be going back to the four walls and, and roof uh, into, in chapter 3. So there'll be some back and forth uh, throughout this book. But can I just say what we all believe? The church is not just four walls and a roof. I mean, the truth is, you're here, what percentage of your waking hours? At best, maybe five. And if you don't live like the church, when you walk out of here, you're failing in your Christian walk. And, and you need to know that. You need to... You need to understand that. There's more to being a Christian than just coming to church on Sunday mornings. There's also Wednesday night. <laughs> There's life groups. There's 1031 party. There's... There's the rallies. There, there's discipleship. You know, there's just lots of things. And oh, by the way, when you go to work, you don't turn it off. You don't get to behave one way at work and then put your church face on and masquerade around like everything's honky-dory when you're here in front of me and all of your friends. So last week, uh, we had a discussion uh, on 
our life in interacting with the world as Christians. Our prayer life is very important to how we live and move about. Uh, And then Paul directs us to pray for kings and all those in authority. Um, And then, then it's implied that we pray for those in authority for their salvation. Then he commands us to live, or he says, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So um, what does that look like in the face of the issues that we deal with in the world today? If you missed it, I would encourage you to go to the website and watch it. There are some things I said last week that may have been hard to hear, perhaps hard to understand, so I want to inf- further encourage you, if you, ha- if you ever walk out of here and you're like, you know, I'm just not sure, or how does that apply, or I've got this thing and he didn't talk about this thing, and so what do I do with that? Would you just pick up the phone and call the church? I would love to talk to you. There's only so much I can do from here, and, there's, and this is awesome and good, but, you know, sometimes practical application needs to be personally applied, and there's just things that can't be addressed from this place and need one-on-one. Life groups are critical for that. Uh, discipleship's critical for that. But if it comes to, you, I, I just need to get some answers from the guy that said it, give me a call. Um, but for the next two weeks, we are going to look at what God's word has to say to us about who we are supposed to be. Today we will be looking at manhood. Next week we will be looking at womanhood. So today, men, this word's for you. Um, Girls, you need to hear it too. But be careful what you do with it because you're next up on the wheel. And Jesus says you want to do to others as you would have do unto you. So I don't want any of this going on. And when you're driving home, I don't want the, you know, permanent part on the side of my head that just, let me just, let me finish. Therefore, he says, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Pastor Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And these are Paul's instructions for the men of the church. Men, we are to be prayerful, worshipful, with a godly attitude which will lead to godly actions. In one single verse, Paul commands us with four specific things. Now, last week I brought up some hot topics in our culture. Today, the truth is this. So many of those problems, virtually all of them, can be packaged and delivered right to the feet of men. 
our society has stripped men of godly manhood. And when I say our society, I'm not laying the blame on women uh, or children or the media or Hollywood or whatever. Those are just symptoms of the disease that has spread to all of those areas because men have allowed it. You give me a person who's struggling with addiction or identity or instability, and in a moment of honesty, we could track that all the way back to a man who hurt them, offended them, did not protect them, instead harassed them, abused them, and then abandoned them. They abandoned them emotionally, for sure, and in many cases, physically as well. And many of the problems today can really stem from that one word, abandonment. This has happened because as an organization, men are not prayerful. They certainly are not worshipful. They do not have godly attitudes or outlooks in life, and so their actions are not godly either. But this isn't new. In fact, the root goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. And I'm going to start with Genesis chapter 4. This is the story of Cain and Abel. These are the third and fourth human beings on the face of the earth. Now, just so you know, at Mill City Church, we have a biblical worldview. So the Bible said it. We believe it. I'm settled on that. So this, this is what the Bible says. Adam and Eve were their parents. Their first two children were Cain and Abel. Abel kept the flocks. Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Abel brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. So the Lord comes to Cain, and he says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, Cain makes a decision. I'm going to kill my brother. I'm not going to do what I know to be right. I'm going to continue to make bad decisions. And so we have the first murder of the human race. Verse 9, the Lord comes to Cain, and he says, hey, where's Abram? And Cain's like, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord says, I know what you did. Because his blood is crying out to me from the ground. And so here's your punishment. You are now under a curse. You're driven from the ground, which 
opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the world. And so Cain says, wait, what? Well, that's too much. My punishment is too much. It's sin. And sin breeds sin. Because just after this, in chapter 4, we get the line, the generational line of Cain. And in the fifth generation, there's this man. His name is Lamech. And he writes a song to his wives. And here's how the song goes. Ada and Zillah, listen to me, my wives. Hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. And if my great-great-great-great-grandfather avenged seven times, then you better look out because I'm going 70. Now, how's that for a love song? Oh, that just warms my heart. Girls, don't you just wish you were married to him? I mean, this guy, he's so much a man, he, he can have two wives. He's got enough to go around. I bet you he had a man cave. <laughs> what a jerk. Because it was modeled. Jerks breed jerks. You reap what you sow. Now you might ask, well, how did that happen? Well, let's just go back one chapter. In chapter three. This is the curse. The fall of man, serpent gets cursed, Eve gets cursed, Adam, because you listened to your wife and you ate the fruit from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field by the wet of your brow. So men, it is our job. I'm going to spread the wealth here, so I promise I'm not looking at anybody. I'm looking at all of you. It is our job and is it, our, it is our responsibility to provide and protect our family. This will require work. And the curse here is that not only will you have to work, you're going to have to work hard, pain and sweat. And there's going to be trials and there's going to be battles, thorns and thistles. Why is that my responsibility? Am I my brother's keeper? Because that's the way God planned it. Why is it so hard? Why can't I get ahead? Why am I struggling so much in life? It's more than I can bear. It's because of the curse. It's the fall of man, and it's a constant battle this side of heaven. Now you might ask, well, what if I'm not married? Well, you still have a responsibility to provide for yourself, and your family, just take a quick look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. We'll get there in a few months. If a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn 
first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, so repaying their parents and grandparents. This is pleasing to God. That's the catch-all verse. We're all in this together. And so this is Cain, one generation removed from perfection in the Garden of Eden. Isn't it interesting that all the answers of life are found in God's Word? You just have to look for them. And that's where we find work and provision battles. But what about home and family relationship battles? Well, we just have to go back one more chapter. Chapter 2. The Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So it was never God's plan that men as an organization as Jerry Seinfeld would say, would not marry. Some do not marry, and and those are exceptions to the rule. They're not wrong. That's not wrong. In in fact, Paul sometimes endorses it, one place in particular. Um, It's just an exception to the rule. But after the fall, the serpent gets cursed, and then Eve. We just saw Adam's curse, so let's look for just a moment at Eve's. I will make your pains in make you your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor you will give birth to children your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you Now most likely we'll look at this verse next week from a different perspective but today we're talking to men This is where we find caveman he man woman hater Cro-Magnon man can't get enough of himself man tight-fisted dictator. It's right here in the curse. Notice it says that her desire will be for her husband. This is not a romantic, can't wait till he gets home so I can just gaze into his amazing eyes and tell him and then show him how much I love him. That's not what this is. This is the curse. John, what's up with that? (laughs) Uh, This is the curse. God has placed man in leadership in the home and essentially society. And while that isn't part of the curse, woman's response to that is... The word here for desire is found in one other place in the entire Bible. It's the very next verse or the next chapter, and we just looked at it. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. This is a covetous, usurping, hostile, malicious desire. I want what I want, and I will do whatever it takes to get it. And then it says, he will rule over you, just like he says to Cain, but you must rule over it. You must fight against it. You must crush this thing. Why was Lamech such a jerk? The curse. 
Why are men in today male chauvinist pigs, overbearing, my way or the highway, addicts, philanderers, harassers, and molesters? Why? The curse. Your desire will be for your husband, and he, look at it, will rule over you. He will. That's hardwired by the curse into manhood. But notice it doesn't say should. And it doesn't say that this is right. This is not endorsed by God. It doesn't say that it's good. It just says that he will. That's the bad news. But there is good news. Look, once again, at Genesis chapter 4. I just had, I could not get away from Genesis chapter 4. There's so much meat in there. If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. How do you know what's right, men? How do I rule over sin? Great question. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. You need to be prayerful, worshipful, with a godly attitude and outlook, which will lead to godly behavior. We're called to be prayerful. We talked at length about that last week. Paul describes prayers as petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving. We looked at the, the, the Lord's Prayer last week as a model for us as we help to build. If, you're, if you do not have a prayer life, you, you're called to have a prayer life. And the Lord teaches us to pray by giving us the, the Lord's Prayer, not to quote in rote and be done. That's not a prayer life. It's to use as a model. It's like bullet points. I'm going to pray these things and I'm going to spend time in each spot and make that prayer my own. Jake, I just, I I want to tell you how much I appreciate when you come up here and pray. Because, I mean, to me, when I hear Jake pray, he's talking to somebody he knows. And it doesn't matter if he's up here with a microphone or in his room in his private devotions. He's talking to a friend. He knows God. And you know it because you hear it. You feel it, don't you? Thank you. We're to develop our prayer life, men. And God will show you in prayer, in conversation, areas of your life that need to be submitted to him. Areas that are not right and and that areas that you need his help and his guidance. He will show that to you. We're called to be worshipful. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to give you two things. First, what do you worship? What do you worship? Do you worship money? Do you worship your job? Do you worship your family? Do you worship a hobby? Do you worship possessions? Or do you worship God? 
How do you know? I'll give you two places. And then I'll slide in a third. Your calendar and your checkbook. That'll tell you the whole story. Where do you spend your time and where do you spend your money? And if you really want to know, just ask your wife. Because she will tell you. And the exercise is super valuable then to take to the Lord. Because he knows. He knows how important the things are in your life. And those things I just listed in and of themselves, they're not wrong. They're not bad. It's just when they get in between you and God. You've elevated them. They're more important. And he will tell you. He will make it obvious. And that leads to the second question. How do you worship? This is more than just singing and posture, but it does include that. Here Paul says, I want men everywhere to pray lifting holy hands. There is a way that God wants us, dare I say, commands us through his word how to worship him. It's in the word. And that's where we find this scripture. That's where we find it. And so part of worship is the word of God, being in his word. Part of Worship is making a joyful noise. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to sing on tune. I think actually the reason they say make a joyful noise is because he knows there's there's a, a minority of people that have the ability to really sing in the heavenlies. And so he says make a joyful noise. Sing songs of praise. You sing out loud. You sing, the, you know, we make it easy because we put the words on the screen. You don't even have to memorize. You just, you sing them. And lifting holy hands. There's a posture there. There's a, that's a dependent, that's a humility. Men in the room, let me tell you something. When you lift your hands, you are saying, I don't have all the answers. I'm not number one. Somebody else is. And we are hardwired through the curse to not live that way. Being in the temple is part of worship. Communion with other believers is part of worship. You know what it is? It's a lifestyle of worship. When our daughter-in-law first met our family, it was just two weeks before we started the church. And two months later, she gave her heart to the Lord. And what she said to my son before he prayed with her, she said, I realize this isn't just something you believe. It's a way of life. That's what I'm talking about. It means every aspect of your life should reflect worship to God. Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, do you realize, it? and I'm talking to Christians here, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have received mercy. 
Your sins will not be counted against you. Praise God. I think that deserves worship. Praise God. Hallelujah. God, you're so good. You don't hold my sin against me. I was this, and you saved me. You forgave me. You redeemed me. I don't have to answer for those anymore. And you pick me up when I fall, and you don't beat me down. You lift me up, and you walk with me. Praise God. So, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's your true and proper worship. How you live your life, how you live and move. It's what I said in the beginning. Work, home, church shouldn't, should be transparent. It should be the same. Walking around in camo. Because you should not look like you, you should look like Jesus. Don't be like the world, no. But here's what it's going to take, transformation. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Find out what God's will is and then do that. Find out what God's will is and do that. Do you realize that obedience is part of worship? Once again, let's go back to Genesis chapter 4. Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering. Now look at this. Abel brought an offering. I don't think I have this highlighted, but it is actually, I think, super important. Look at it. Fat portions from some of the firstborn. That's very specific. It was clear to Cain and Abel, they knew how God required them to worship him. Uh, yeah, I read this, I'm like, dude, why don't you just trade some fruits and vegetables for a sheep and call it square? Is that all you do is eat vegetables? Who does that? <laughs> Not me. I'd be trading up all day long. And the fat portion, man, that's the good stuff. And the firstborn, that's the first stuff. But God didn't accept. And then he says, if you do what's right, you will be accepted. So when you know the will of God, you have a choice. You can get angry about it, or you can just obey. Funny how that leads to the second two, the second pair. We're called to have a godly attitude and outlook, which will then lead to godly actions. When you're just walking around angry all the time, nobody wants to be around you. Not even your wife, especially your wife. Cain knew what God's will was, but rather than submitting, which is an attitude, submission is an attitude, Behavior is action. He chose to approach God, to worship God, not the way God required, but the way he wanted to. Cain said, God, if, if you're going to have to accept my worship. And God says, no, I don't. 
and no, I won't. Unless you think we live in a different culture today, I find this incredibly applicable. Uh, look at this. Cain was a produce farmer, okay? Abel was a sheep farmer. Wouldn't it make sense in light of today's culture that Cain would say, you know, God, you, you made me this way. You made me a produce farmer. You're going to have to take, because you made me this way. You could have made me a sheep farmer. It's your fault. And God says, yeah, no. Yeah, I put you there. But that doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want to do. It's funny how the more things change, the more they stay the same, isn't it? How does that roll out in your life? I don't sing. I don't sing. I certainly don't raise my hands. I don't pray. I mean, at least not out loud. This is church, right? It's supposed to be quiet in here. We've got babies in here. That's why we have children's ministry. It's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. I'm just not like that. Well, my dad always said, I'm German. Okay, Captain Caveman, chapter and verse, please. Because you'll not find any of those in the Bible. How about this, men? How about you just get over yourself? Can I just cut you straight? I'm not fooled. And you don't scare me. You need to be, you need to have a healthy fear. Jesus says, don't fear man. Fear the one that can send you to hell for eternity. Fear him. Does your life reflect that commitment? Because he sure made a commitment to you. He gave his life. You may have been these things. I'm not, I'm not denying those. And this, the curse, the reason I bring that up is just to, that, that's why it's so hard. I'm not saying it's easy. Can you imagine? <laughs> I find this kind of humorous. Can you imagine how many times Adam said to Eve, you know, if you hadn't, you know, we wouldn't be in this deal if it wasn't for you. And if anybody had the opportunity, had the qualifications to say that, it was him. You know, and he lived for hundreds of years. Poor Eve's like, good grief. I get it. Get off my back. <laughs> Love to put a rewind on that one. Maybe they DVR, God DVR'd that one so that we can watch that all when we are in heaven. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 5. You were once darkness. That's the curse. That's who you were. That's, I'm just describing who we all are. I'm the same way. You can hear it in my voice. Can you imagine? 
what kind of a person it is to live with me, my, just pray for Sandy. Just pray for Sandy. <laughs> and Emily's still in the house, and she's going to be with us for six or eight more years. We ought to be empty nesters now, but no. We were blessed. So very blessed with our amazing daughter. That's why I look so young. I'm 50, but you'd never guess it because I have a 12 year old. We prayed for twins. This is funny. We prayed for twins for some reason. And God actually gave us two in one. She has so much to offer. <laughs> Can't wait for her husband to roll into the scene. <laughs> you were once darkness. You realize that? But believer, man, Christian man, let me tell you, you are now light in the Lord. Isn't that good? Praise God. So live like it. Find out what pleases the Lord. And then do that. Peter puts it this way. Make every effort to add to your faith. He doesn't say add effort to your faith. That's effortless. That is a gift. You accept salvation by faith. Now, you have to add to it goodness. The, the context of goodness is resolve to do good. And so once you have that resolve, that right godly attitude and outlook, then you can add knowledge. You're supposed to add knowledge. What, how, what, is, what is good? What, is, what am I supposed to do? Okay, add that knowledge, and then you're going to have to maintain yourself. You, have, you need self-control because you were, and now you are, and you're going to keep on putting those old clothes on, but you're supposed to take them off and put the new clothes on. You're going to have to persevere through that. It's going to take time. Wives, it takes time for your husband to look like Jesus. Persevere, you'll become godly. Persevere, godliness will manifest itself. That will be like love and affection, the last two. If you possess these qualities, verse 8, in increasing measure, they'll grow. If you keep putting those in, they'll grow. Then it will keep you from being he-man, woman-hater, cro-magnamon, captain, caveman, heavy-handed, dictator, tight-fisted, my way or the highway, which are really ineffective and unproductive <laughs> marital. Those aren't ingredients for an effective marriage. If you don't have them, then you're nearsighted and blind, and you've forgotten what God has done for you. And that's not who you are. That's not who you're called to be. You combine those two with what James says, don't just listen to me. Because all, if all you do is listen and you don't apply, then you're lying to yourself. You need to do what it says. Find out what God says. Find out what pleases God. Do that. Find out what pleases God. Do that. Blocking and tackling. Blocking and tackling. Blocking and tackling. We are called to a godly attitude and outlook. And God is for us. He's not against us. 
His word is true. It gives life. And when we have that godly attitude, we're going to, I'm going to take God at his word. I'm going to accept that as truth. And I'm going to start then applying those truths. It just is like, it's a given. You will begin to look and behave. The godly actions will follow. And look, just three verses later, verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law Whoever, anyone, and everyone who looks intently at God's perfect law, which gives freedom, and then continues in it, doing it, then they will be blessed in what they do. Gentlemen, do you want a life of blessing? Do you want God to honor your marriage? Do you want God to bless your marriage? Do you want God to bless your relationships? Do you want God to bless your children? Do you want God to bless your home? Do you want him to bless your, your, your workplace, your business, your employees, your, your managers up the line or down the line, whatever that, you want him to bless your relationships, then men, you need to be men of prayer and worship. You need a godly attitude and outlook, and it will lead to godly actions. It is automatic. You want a life of victory? You need victory over sin. You need victory over addictions. You need victory over the curse. That is very, very real. Then you need to be a man of prayer a man of worship whose heart is open to the things of God and that will automatically lead to godly behaviors. I close with this. It's one of the final remarks in 1 Corinthians. The worship team can come. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, look at this, verse 13. This is the ESV. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong and let all that you do be done in love. Men, you need to be on guard. Sin is crouching at your door. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And you need to be able, you need to stand firm in what you believe. The armor of God has nothing for your back. You're not supposed to run away. You are to stand. And you're gonna, it's going to require strength. But do everything in love. That's what it means to act like a man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray for this congregation, the men of this congregation. We need meat and potatoes, and you've certainly served it up today. We are so far from perfection. 
on our very best day, we miss your perfect mark. And in moments like these, we have exposure of just how far we are from who you are. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I, I want to talk to the men very specifically. If you think that I write this stuff and I don't, I just constantly looking at faces in the room, I'm here to tell you it's like a mirror. And I'm confronted with my own imperfections, my own shortcomings, my own sin. And the good news is the gospel is rooted in this because God knows on your very best day you could never hit the mark. And he loves us so much. He loves you so much that instead of making you pay, he paid the price for you. He sent Jesus for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only firstborn perfect son so that anyone, everyone who would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. get to sit through some of the stuff and, and truth be told we can you know our heart aches because we know how far we are and that next verse is so critical because it, Jesus goes on to say that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world we're actually already condemned through our own sinful behavior he sent his son into the world to save the world through him. And I think this is an opportunity today to just accept, you know, the, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 that if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and the bread in that sandwich starts with if you think you're sin free, you're lying to yourself. And if you think you're sin free, you're actually calling God a liar. So it's not like he doesn't know you sin. He's giving you a fire escape through him.
This is a, this is a moment. This can be a spiritual marker day in your life, men, where you can say, I see it. I know it. And God, I need your help. And I'm resolved to be a man of prayer. I'm resolved to be a man who worships God. I'm resolved to, to accept God's word for what it says with the right attitude and the right outlook. And I'm through his help, my actions are gonna line up with those things. And if that's you and you know, you're just willing, whether you're already on the track or not, but you're a man and you're willing to take a stand today, I would ask you men to stand up. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But look around you. You can open your eyes now. Look around you. You are not alone. There are men all around you who love God and who want nothing more than to walk this walk with you, alongside you. And so we're going to sing these, this last song. I think it's a, a, a war song. Heavenly Father, I praise your name. You are a good God. And God, I'm asking right now, I stand before you with a repentant heart. I know my failure. I know where I missed the mark. And God, I'm asking for your forgiveness. And I thank you that you forgive. I receive your forgiveness now. I'm asking with your help and my brothers alongside, would you help me? Would you help me, Lord, as I add these pieces to my life? to look more and more like you. I praise your name and I thank you. Amen.